This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. At JCPenney, fashion counts for everybody and everybody. The weather is getting warmer and it's time to swap my winter layers for fun, vibrant, and cool clothing with so many fun things happening this spring like Mother's Day and the Wind Down Tour. It's hard to find great looking clothes that fit you just right. That's why I love JCPenney. JCPenney has so many stylish and comfortable options for so many different body types. I've been blown away by their selection and everything hugs my body in all the right spots. Refresh your wardrobe this spring with style that gets you. Something to wear that fits your favorite moments of the season at prices that feel just as good. Discover brands that get you and put style and comfort first, like Worthington and Liz Claiborne for her, each in women's petite and plus sizes. Here, spring comes in all shapes, sizes, and colors. JCPenney, make everybody count. This is the Sports Illustrated Boxing Podcast. It's boxing. A look inside boxing with Sports Illustrated's Chris Mannix. Interviews, analysis, and everything going on in boxing. And now a man who I wish was called the Boston Bleeder. All doctors to the ER. It's sort of like getting punched in the face. Chris Chris Mannix. All right, Keith Eidek is here, friend of the podcast, senior writer over at BoxingScene.com. As always, subscribe, rate, review this podcast on Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to podcasts. It is all much appreciated. Keith, good to talk to you again, my friend. What's going on? As always, Chris, how you doing? So have you been, uh, you know, I'm just I'm just kind of getting back into the boxing mindset after leaving the NBA bubble. Have you been going to these Mohegan Sun shows as of late? No, we weren't allowed, actually. I thought in the beginning, the August 1st show initially, and then the August 15th show for sure, we they would allow some media. Uh, and ultimately, they erred on the side of caution and decided not to allow people to go. So uh, the first fight card that I'll cover in over six months will be the Charlo pay-per-view next week. So six, yeah. full, six full days at the glorious Mohegan Sun. That was my my issue with with covering that in person. It's a good card, uh, and we'll talk some Excellent. about that. But uh, you, you know, that's the kind of show, Keith, where I and I think you probably would do maybe the same. You kind of parachute in either the day before or the day of, but because of testing requirements, it you can't do that. So I mean, that's uh, that, that's going to probably keep me from a lot of the mid to low level shows. You know, going to them, the requirement to be there earlier than the day of. Yeah, I mean, you definitely have to quarantine for 24 hours and get up there early. Ordinarily, Chris, and I know, obviously, you're covering multiple sports and everything. 
the way we operate for boxing scene purposes, I generally for particularly for pay-per-view fights, I'm pretty much there by Monday night, especially when it's in Vegas because they do the grand arrivals, which we have access to the fighters afterward and everything. So I'm kind of used to uh, the long, long fight weeks, but, um, but yeah, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be interesting. Uh, it's restrictive, but from what I've been led to believe, not as restrictive as maybe you might, not you personally, but all of us might think. So it's not quite as bad as we're, we've been led to believe. Um, so it'll, you know, look, I'll, I'll be happy. Uh, I'll be interested uh, to break up the monotony, you know, working from home. And I know you've been locked away in the bubble down there in Orlando for quite some time, but um, you know, I work from home ordinarily when I'm not on the road. Uh, but this is the longest I've gone in my entire journalism career, which spans uh, however long, 26, 27 years now where I haven't covered any kind of event. I mean, it's by far the longest amount of time. So you feel kind of cooped up and, uh, you know, <laughs> you're very appreciative that you still have your job and, and everything like that. But, uh, but you want to get out and start and start behaving normally, I guess. If, if, if covering boxing for a living is behaving normally, which <laughs> it probably is not, uh, you want to get back to some sense of normalcy. So I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I agree. Uh, getting out and covering events, having just done that for the NBA, it's, it definitely is refreshing, even if it is under some awkward type of circumstances. Um, all right, before we get into uh, actual fights, I, I want to talk about the ongoing drama that is Canelo Alvarez. The lawsuit Canelo filed uh, this month was dismissed this past week. It was more of a technicality than anything else. The judge ordered Canelo's lawyers to refile in a different way. The expectation is that Canelo's legal team will do that, and we will once again have Canelo v. Golden Boy and v. DeZone. Oscar De La Hoya took to social media after the lawsuit was dismissed, uh, kind of, I don't want to know what word to use, pleading, asking for, hoping that... Uh, this dismissal would lead to uh, some sort of impasse that'd be a resolution that wouldn't involve a legal entanglement, but it doesn't seem like that is in the immediate offing. So, you know, you've been covering this for a few weeks now from the zone angle to Canelo to what Golden Boy has been saying. Uh, what do you make of this lawsuit? I mean, is this the kind of lawsuit that only has one outcome that sees Canelo separate from Golden Boy and zone, or are there multiple outcomes that could be at play here? I don't think there's only that one outcome, Chris, in the sense that the last thing that Canelo Alvarez wants is a prolonged legal entanglement that is going to keep him out of the ring even longer than he's already been out of it. You know, we're going on almost a year since he fought. It's almost 11 months now. Um, he's still in the prime of his career. He's remarkably only 30 years old, despite that he's been fighting forever, it seems. Uh, so I think in his prime earning years here, he's not looking to – be wrapped up in court for two years. I mean, that would be an utter waste of time and energy and, and certainly money. And, and it would defeat his ultimate purpose, which is to make as much money as he can before he retires. So I think he just wants to be treated fairly. In some ways, he feels that he, um, in a lot of ways, he feels that he hasn't been treated fairly by DAZN, uh and maybe Golden Boy to, to a lesser extent. Um, at the same time, I see DAZN's perspective uh, look, they they did not dot their I's and cross their T's the way that they should have in in constructing these contracts. I would I think most people would agree with that. Uh, but you also can't give complete control to the fighter to pick his opponents because you know the type of opponents that that he'll be fighting if you do that, particularly for a forty million dollar price tag per fight. 
So I think ultimately they'll come to some sort of resolution and they'll move forward together, uh, certainly in the short term. And I don't know exactly when we'll see him in the ring, but I don't, while they're refiling this lawsuit because they have to, I don't think that we're going to be here six months from now talking about what the resolution to this might be. I do, I do think we'll see Canelo, maybe not by the end of this year because we're already closing in on October, uh, but I don't think this is going to be something that drags out in court for one to two years. I just can't see. It's just not good business for Canelo. Yeah, and my sense, Keith, of the kind of back-channel conversations that are going on, uh, and you mentioned Canelo's age. I think Canelo is keenly aware of the clock that's on his career. You know, maybe not the end of his career, but the end of his prime years. And he's looking at, you know, one, two, maybe three uh, of where he, of the years where he will be considered, you know, the best or one of the best pound-for-pound fighters in all of boxing. And I don't think Canelo wants to waste those years or, or even waste an opportunity to fight in the fall. Like, I have not ruled out the possibility, even the probability, that we see Canelo Alvarez in the ring before the end of the year. I think that's still very much possible that this gets resolved and Canelo gets back uh, into the mix. And I, I think some of that is, you know, his age and he wants to, to get, keep his career going. I think part of it, too, is, you know, he's guaranteed a lot of money on this DAZN deal. I mean, $280 million over the rest of it. And Bob Arum said this in a boxing scene story uh, recently. Like, you know, Bob doesn't was like, I don't know if the market's going to... You know, if that's going to be available to Canelo on the open market, the yeah. $35 million per fight uh, that he's guaranteed on this zone, at least he is in the original contract. So I think that at least from a, a relationship between DAZN and Canelo, I feel it's more likely than not that that continues. I, I don't know how the Golden Boy stuff fits in. That There's a lot more deep-rooted issues between Canelo and Golden Boy than there are between Canelo and DAZN. There are, Chris, but I don't see him being able to move forward with the zone without Golden Boy because, again, that would keep him out of the ring, and that's ultimately not what he wants. So I think they'll come to some sort of compromise. All three parties will come to some sort of compromise, and it would be ideal if we could see him in the ring before the end of the year. I wouldn't mind him seeing, I wouldn't mind seeing him fight Callum Smith. wouldn't mind seeing him fight Billy Joe Saunders, who, of course, he was supposed to fight on May 2nd. Um, you know, those are good opponents. I, I, there seems to be some discrepancy about what is a premier event and what is not. You know, Callum Smith is arguably the best super middleweight in boxing besides Canelo, if you're calling him. His, uh, so I don't know how you wouldn't consider that a premier event. I'm not saying it's as big an event as uh, Gennady Golovkin, Canelo Alvarez three. It certainly is not. But if he were to fight Callum Smith, I could understand him saying, I want my full $40 million package, which he, he obviously doesn't get all of that, but they pay his opponent out of that. And then on the other side of it, fighters like Callum Smith and Billy Joe Saunders have to be reasonable and realize that the pandemic has impacted the economy, the American economy in particular, in a very negative way. And has done the same thing in the UK. Um, and they'll have to take a little bit less money. But if I'm them, and I, it's not my money, so I, I shouldn't be counting it on either side. But if you're advising Billy Joe Saunders or Callum Smith and you're being asked to take a little less money than you were offered back in February or March, uh, where are you going to make that kind of money otherwise? You'd have to fight two or three times to do that. And if you think you can beat Canelo Alvarez, which both of those very confident fighters, I'm sure, think that they can, 
you change your whole the whole course of your career, and then you're in the driver's seat in terms of a, a potential rematch or demanding more money to fight other opponents. So I think it would be short-sighted, and I realize that you know a 20% haircut would be a lot of money. I'm not you know turning my nose up at at that type of money, but I think it would be short-sighted for either of those fighters to walk away from that type of fight because we know Golovkin Canelo is not happening next. Yeah. Um, Showtime's Steven Espinosa had some comments recently where he basically said, you know, if Canelo was available, uh, we'd certainly be interested in signing him. Showtime, of course, uh, the network that took Floyd Mayweather away from HBO. And while that had some ups and downs, they certainly made a lot of money off it because they got uh, part of the Mayweather-Pacquiao fight. They got Mayweather versus Canelo. I mean, they they were able to to put together some big fights. Uh, let's say, hypothetically, Canelo hits the open market. What does that market look like for him? I mean, as I said, I think it's it's tough for anybody to guarantee him $35 million per fight in this kind of landscape. But, you know, h- how do you see something like that potentially playing out? You know, the, look, ESPN and Top Rank obviously would be interested. Showtime and PBC clearly would be interested. I, I'm assuming Fox and PBC would be interested you know, like you said, Showtime has done very good business with Canelo before, of course, you know, none bigger than his fight with Floyd Mayweather. Uh, you're not going to do that type of business with anyone else, of course. But uh, but Canelo is the most bankable star in American boxing. Uh, Steven Espinoza is well aware of that, as is Al Heyman. And if they had an opportunity, of course, to work with him, um, of course they would. Uh, but I don't know that he can get uh, $35 million per fight on the open market, just particularly not the way this deal is constructed with the zone where you can just fight whomever and you can pitch opponents like David Lemieux and, and Anthony Durrell and expect to be paid. Now that hasn't happened of course, but that's a big part of why we are where we are with the situation. But uh, the deal can't be constructed that way. You're going to have to fight premium opponents. And, and I think, you know, there'll be a lot more, they would consider premium other than just Gennady Golovkin, who's going on 39 years old. And who knows what's left of Gennady Golovkin after that savage fight against Sergei Drevinchenko. So, um, but if they can get back on course with the zone, we'll see the third uh, Canelo triple G fight. That's why they signed both guys primarily. I mean, they Canelo of course has a much longer shelf life, than uh, Gennady Golovkin did, but that is why they signed Gennady Golovkin to a nine-figure contract. So I would expect that to happen uh, next May or so if if, um, if the, all the parties can come together and get back on track. And if you're somebody outside of the zone tr- thinking about Canelo, one thing you have to factor in is that he's not really all that interested in self-promotion, right? Like, it's not like he's constantly inviting <clears throat> people into his camps and you know, doing the talk show circuit. I mean, the guy understands English clearly, but doesn't want to speak it back. Like, it's just, you know, I'm certainly, you know, broadcast networks, a cable network like ESPN could elevate his profile, but I'm not sure that it, like if he was English speaking, like there might be more upside for top rank slash ESPN to guarantee that type of money. It's just, he's, and look, more power to him. Like he's been tremendously successful this way, but he's just very much interested in fighting, winning, collecting a check and going home. Like that's, that's kind of his yeah. MO. I don't think it makes him unique, but it certainly makes him different than a lot of the guys that have been in his position over the recent years. Yeah. I'm not advocating behaving that way, but some of that comes with the cachet of being the biggest star in the sport. You know, he 
Canelo has been described by a lot of people as a diva. And in some ways, I suspect that he is. I mean, he's always been, Chris, you've dealt with him a lot, of course, from the zone side of it and previously. Whenever Canelo deals with us uh, uh, from a media perspective, he's perfectly polite. Uh, he's, he's accessible when he's there to, you know, to do his media obligations. Uh, never had a negative interaction with Canelo. He's always given us time and everything. But you're right, he's not available between fights and things like that. Now, maybe more so in Mexico he is. And, and uh, you know, he's, he's beloved in Mexico. He's an enormous star there. I, I do think from the ESPN perspective, uh, ESPN Deportes would be a, a very valuable vehicle for promoting Canelo in the United States. But I don't know how much bigger of a star he's going to become, even if he were, had the ESPN platform and, and Mouthpiece uh, working on his behalf, because he's a pretty big star as it is and, and may have maximized his value from a pay-per-view perspective. Um, and who knows what pay-per-views are supposed to do at this point, based on what television viewership is for boxing at this point. Yeah, you're right about that. It'll be interesting to see in the next couple of weeks how this all uh, plays out. All right, fight this weekend, Keith is going to feature Erickson Lubin against Terrell Gaucher, two 154-pounders in something of a crossroads type of fight uh, between two American boxers. Uh, Lubin's an interesting story. Uh, I mean, he's he was one of the rising prospects as recently as three years ago. He gets a big world title fight against Jermel Charlo at Super Welterweight. And he gets knocked out in the first round. I mean, it was a, a one big punch from Charlo that put him down. It was a highlight reel type of knockout. And it really set Erickson Lubin back. Now, since then, he's won four fights in a row against uh, relatively low competition. People know the name Ish Smith out there. But Smith, that was literally his last fight. And he was very much on the slide uh, before that. Now he goes up against Gaucher, who's got one loss and one draw on his resume. I mean, I guess I want to start with Lubin because he's kind of the more interesting guy to me in this fight. How do you view Erickson Lubin? Do you look at that fight as being, all right, like he got caught and and it, it doesn't really change how you, you perceive him. He still is this kind of star on the rise or or is it something else? How do you look at Erickson Lubin? I'm not sure we know the answer to that question yet, Chris. Um, <clears throat> he clearly the more intriguing guy in this fight. He's still only 24 years old. I think he turns 25 in a couple of weeks. Um, so he'll be, you know, 24 on Saturday night when they get in the ring. Um, he's in a pretty good position for someone who had what happened to him happen, because if he wins this fight, this is a WBC elimination match. He's, he's already the number one contender, but this makes the winner the mandatory for the winner of the Charlo Rosario fight. So if Charlo wins, he's in position to try to avenge that loss. Now, Charlo is on record as saying, I have no interest in fighting Erickson Lubin again. And rightfully so, from Charlo's perspective, he went in there, perfect punch, knocked him out in the first round. That business is finished as far as he's concerned. So why would he want to do a rematch? I do think there would be some intrigue for a rematch because of the questions you posed, Chris, in that is Erickson Lubin what happened in October 2017 against Jamel Charlo? Or did he just get caught with a perfectly placed punch at the right time? Look, guys get caught in the first round. It happens, or, or caught in, in other rounds. I mean, sometimes it happens. It's a punch you don't see coming. Um, should that, you know, eliminate him as a as a top flight fighter for the rest of his career? No, uh, he's four and zero since then. Like you said, he beat Shea Smith, who was an old, you know, durable fighter and a very good fighter once upon a time, but was clearly toward the end of his career at the point that they fought. Um, 
his win against Nathaniel Gallimore last year, which was his last fight now, almost 11 months ago, um, he, he did not knock Nathaniel Gallimore out, and Gallimore just got beat up by Sebastian Fundor a couple of weeks ago. But Gallimore is a big puncher, uh, so that fight went the distance, and Erickson Lubin won that fight convincingly. And uh, Gallimore, like I said, is a pretty big, maybe not necessarily as big a puncher as Charlo, uh, who's a, a deceivingly big puncher based on what his knockout ratio is. Uh, but but he went the distance with Gallimore, so I think that showed something there. Um, if he fights, you know, if Rosario winds up winning next week, and I favor Charlo in that fight, uh, but if he winds up fighting Rosario, he would fight for all three titles, which would be an incredible place for Erickson Lubin to find himself after what happened three almost three years ago. Yeah, I mean, he, he would have rebuilt after that knockout relatively quickly. I look at Lubin as being maybe one fight after this away from being in a position to challenge the winner of this Charlo-Rosario fight. I'm with you. I favor Charlo in this fight. Uh, but I think Gaucher would be a good win. And I think I'd like to see him, and I think that this will be the, the way it plays out, face another one of those 154s in that deep stable that PBC has. Maybe it's a Tony Harrison. Uh, maybe it's somebody else. Uh, but I think one more fight, because, I mean, I think we could all agree. I mean, I don't know how great a fight it is, but the winner of Charlo Rosario, you've got Patrick Teixeira out there with the other piece of the 154-pound title. And look, that he's on the Golden Boy side of the street, but that's not one of those like impossible-to-make fights, like money talks in a fight like that. And I, I think Teixeira would be happy to go across the street for the right amount of money uh, for an undisputed championship fight. But yeah, if, if Charlo comes out of that, maybe middle or late next year, I think Lubin's the guy. I mean, he's got you know a bit of a fan base. People in America kind of know him, you know, based on his you know, his early rise as a young amateur who kind of pushed off the USA boxing or said no to the USA boxing team. Um, I, I think it's one more. I think there's there's one more fight if he gets past Gaucher. And if he does, I think it's hard to to for Charlo or anybody to really avoid him. I think it'll be difficult to convince Erickson Lubin of what you just said, Chris. I, I understand what you're saying, but I don't think he'll want to fight someone else. Certainly not Tony Harrison, who is, who's a tough out. You know, I mean, that's a difficult yeah. fight. And you're in position to fight for three of the four 154-pound titles. It would be hard to convince him to take that type of fight. But if, like you said, if they are able to make that Patrick Teixeira fight for all of the titles and he has to wait, I could see them getting him a – stay busy type of fight, but not necessarily someone as good as Tony Harrison, uh, that type of fight he might be willing to do, but I don't think he's going to get in there with a guy who, you know, a top five or 654 pounder and risk after what he's been through, not getting that shot at the three or potentially four titles, uh, that could be at stake there. So, um, I'm not sure that I, I hear you on money talks, of course, but I'm not sure it'll be as easy to make that Patrick Teixeira, against the Charlo Rosario winner as we hope it would be because of all the acrimony between Golden Boy Promotions and Al Heyman. I, I don't know about that. Yeah, I mean, you, you prob you're probably right there. I mean, it's, uh, it, you know, the politics of it make it a little tough. I, I just wonder where Teixeira goes with that belt. Like, there's not a lot for him on that side of the street. I mean, you know, Munguia moved up. I mean, 154, what are you going to do? Like, Jesse Vargas? I mean, I, I, don't, well, he, I don't see that... Go ahead. His his mandatory is uh, due against Brian Castaño, so he, yeah, he I'm might, more thinking like what, what, what he like, might yeah. do. What right, right? What he but if he fought Brian Castaño, I would certainly favor Castaño to win that fight. So, um, 
we'll see if the, if it happens. I mean, if you're Teixeira, you want a bigger fight for more money, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, but if he fights yeah. Castaño, Castaño, I thought, beat Arislandi Lara when they fought at Barclays Center last year. And while he's not a, the, the highest profile fighter, he's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, that's the, you can't overlook anybody, I guess, um, in fights like that. I do wonder, too, like if you're Erickson Lubin, you know, we both know, Keith, like being the mandatory doesn't mean jack especially when it comes to the wbc like i'd want to be sure exactly how long i mean example a is white dillian (laughs) you know the 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 wbc doesn't exactly enforce things in a timely manner so i'd be i'd wonder just how long they're going to make me wait before getting a shot at that wbc title that's got to be part of the thought process as well well chris they could just make them the the franchise mandatory Let's just do it. Let's just why not, right? Let's conf- let's confuse everybody. You got us the silver title. Uh, maybe you can go for the Mayan belt as well. No, I'm not going down this rabbit hole. That's uh, <laughs> that's a little bit too much. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh my! Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Now, I'm supposed to talk here about what I remember and what I loved about my first car. And that's easy for me to do because I still have my first car. And as long as it keeps running, and so far so good, I intend to have that car probably until the day I die. Uh, That's how much I love that car. It is like a child to me. Now, it does require some upkeep, and that's why I'm grateful for a place like eBay Motors. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED lights, roof racks, bumpers, Whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant, just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. Um, I want to turn to that aforementioned Dillian White for a minute. Uh, Eddie Hearn announced the rematch between White and Pavekin will take place on November 21st. That, Keith, is a pretty quick turnaround for a fight that ended as disastrously for Dillian White. Now, you know, Alexander Povetkin won the fight, but Dillian White, in a lot of ways, is in control of when the next one happens. He said immediately after that fight, I'll give him credit, he said, when can we do the rematch? Can we do it in December? That fight now made for November. There's been reports that White is already back in training camp. 
Uh, what do you make of White just want to turn around and get right back in the ring with a guy that just knocked him cold? It's absolutely admirable that he wants to get right back in there as soon as possible with Alexander Povetkin. I'm not sure it's the smartest thing or necessarily the safest thing. Typically, when a guy gets knocked out, as you know, Chris, in the U.S., it's at least a 90-day suspension, usually longer, especially if you're knocked out as brutally as he was knocked out. I mean, you should he shouldn't be in training camp right now. He just That just happened four weeks ago. You know, I, I turn around, and he wants it. He's pushing for it. So it's not like someone is forcing him to do it. You know, he – he wants to get back in there and avenge this loss, which which I completely understand and, again, is admirable. Um, but they're also talking as if if he wins this fight, he goes back to being the mandatory. No, no, that that's not the way. You don't get knocked unconscious, move down in the rankings, and then come back to beat the guy that you weren't supposed to lose to to begin with and then leapfrog the three people rated in between you. That's not the way it works. And they keep saying it as if they, as Eddie Hearn keeps saying it as if he just keeps saying it, it'll just, you know, come into being. But I can't imagine. Now, look, the one thing I'll say, as you were alluding to before, Chris, WBC and all of the rest of them, for the most part, do some wacky things. So would I be surprised if they didn't re-implement Dillian White as the mandatory contender as a kind of a... Uh, a makeup for making him wait all this time and take all these dangerous fights that he had to win to remain the mandatory. Who knows? I mean, they've done crazier things. So, but I don't see how that would make any sense. I mean, transferring the mandatory spot back and forth like that when Andy Ruiz is ranked and uh, Joseph Parker is now ranked ahead of Dillian White. And I understand White beat Parker, but um, I don't know. That's a hard argument to make as far as I can tell. I, I agree with you. Um, I would say that these latest WBC rankings are unsurprisingly horrible. Um, like Dillian White lost, and I get that you have to drop because you lost. But before that, he'd won like, what, 10, 11 fights in a row fighting competition that is right up there with the best heavyweights in the world. Uh, and to drop below Luis Ortiz, who lost to Deontay Wilder to drop below Andy Ruiz, who has one quality win over Anthony Joshua, which he turned around and lost his next time out. Uh, even, even Alexander Usyk, who's got one win at heavyweight. I mean, come on. Like, let's... I mean, these rankings, Keith, they're so stupid. Like, I, I'm not... I, again, I'm not surprised that they're just stupid, but there's really no reason that Dillian White should drop, what, four or five spots in the WBC rankings after getting caught with one punch. I mean, he had... Povetkin down twice in the fourth round. He got yeah. lazy, he got sloppy, and he got caught. I mean, it happens yeah. in boxing. He said that. And for the WBC to drop him like in those rankings like that is is nonsensical to me. I I understand what you're saying, and you're, he looked like he was well on his way to a, a fifth-round knockout of his own. Of course, that's what we all thought was going to happen once that bell rang to start the fifth round. But he didn't lose a uh, controversial split decision or – controversial majority decision or something like that where, where he clearly won the fight and, and Alexander Probetkin won. Again, he got caught with one punch that he didn't see coming, which I understand, but he was still knocked unconscious. So I don't, I don't know. I mean, that seemed – I'm never going to argue on behalf of the sanctioning bodies what they're doing, 
but but there was a decisive loss. I mean, it was not a situation where it's deba- you know clear, he was on his way to winning. Yeah, but he but he still got knocked not cold. So, but I mean, I guess I guess Keith, my question is, how different is it than Luis Ortiz, who was on his way to winning? Yeah, no, he of got course. Flattened. You know right. I mean, and, and he has done nothing since then. Same thing with Ruiz. I mean, we're giving Ruiz credit credit for you know being a self admitted out of shape fat guy in the ring against Anthony Joshua. I mean, I I don't know. It's, it's I guess it's neither here nor there because I mean, if White wins against Pavek in the rematch, he'd probably jump you know, all the way back up to what number one. But maybe he wouldn't be the mandatory, but he'd be the number one guy again. I would assume because he'd have that interim belt, whatever that means. Around his waist. We've now we've now officially spent way too much time talking about the mm-hmm. WBC rankings. That's my fault. I <laughs> I I went oh. down that rabbit hole and I forgot how far it goes. That's, yeah. That's, well, let's take it easy on the out of shape fat guys for one. Let's get that out of the way. Right. Who happened to who happened to be professional boxers? Okay. All right. Well, fair That's, enough. Uh, um, Andy Andy's but, own words. But but the and as it pertains to Ortiz, you make a good point in the sense that the, I never understood why Wilder Ortiz two happened again. Uh, or happened that why that fight why was that rematch necessary the first fight yeah he buzzed Deontay Wilder in the seventh round of that fight but Wilder came back and and clearly knocked him out he had knocked him down three times in the fight there was it was a definitive ending I, I didn't understand the need for them to fight again uh, so certainly you know you don't want to see him in position to get a third shot at that title after he's been knocked out twice and he yeah he was again he was winning every round against Deontay Wilder but Deontay Wilder has the ultimate equalizer and did what Deontay Wilder does. So more evidence that the, the second fight should never have happened. But yeah, here, yeah, I agree. Rankings are and, atrocious. Yeah, if you're, if you're, look, if you're Dillian White, you're taking a risk here, like by coming back this, this quickly um, after a knockout like that. Uh, if you do win, the, the reward is certainly there. I mean, I, he won't get that shot against Tyson Fury, but I've long advocated, Keith, that, you know, if they wind up in like Saudi Arabia or some, you know, Middle Eastern country for Joshua versus Fury, if that comes to bear, uh, White would be terrific on the undercard. You know, you could make him the co-main event and, you know, give him a chance to build himself up against whatever opponent it is and, you know, maybe be the mandatory for that title end of next year or or whenever it Mm -hmm. is. I mean, I, I think it could... You know, if he if he's able to avenge the loss, and I think it's certainly possible the way he won those first four rounds, um, I I think he could wind up in a pretty good position in 2021. I think that's uh, that's certainly doable for him. Yeah, absolutely. And he and Dillian White's a fun guy. You know, people like watching him fight. I mean, he's you know sometimes he comes in out of shape or whatever, but he you know he he's been knocked down in multiple fights, but he gets up and and wins. And in the in the Derek Chisora fight, he couldn't have won in a more you know great fashion than he did exciting fashion uh you know so white's always going to be a guy people want to see and and like you said he could he win the rematch by emphatically knocking out alexander bravekin of course and i think you know in some ways this did this helped eddie hearn's cause because <laughs> because now he doesn't for the time being anyway doesn't have to talk about the dillian white being the mandatory for uh for fury who he wants anthony joshua to fight and this pay-per-view is now much, much bigger than the first fight was. There's a lot of intrigue going into this pay-per-view rematch in the UK than there was for the first fight. Oh, yeah. We talked about this last month. Eddie Hearn was the big winner that night. He can now like put down his face that says White needs to get the fight against Tyson Fury and not have a conflict with the face that says we don't want White versus Tyson Fury. We want Fury versus Anthony Joshua. And 
I think that could could lead to a, a enhancement of that Joshua Fury card again if that happens some point uh, next summer. A um, couple thing other things I want to get to. Uh, the social media chatter between Devin Haney and Gary Russell Jr. has been really interesting lately. I mean, I Russell, for some reason, has kind of emerged from this cocoon, and he's challenging everybody. He's challenging Terrence Crawford, you know, trying to punch up, what, four weight classes than his current weight class. Now he's on to Devin Haney, and Haney's responded by sending him some kind of term sheet. Uh, Russell has acknowledged that he got the term sheet, but weirdly is suggesting that it's not real because... It doesn't have like a DAZN paycheck stamp at the bottom of it. Uh, I I get the sense, and maybe this could already be out there by the time this podcast uh, airs, I get the sense they're kind of moving off Gary Russell and Devin Haney's camp. I I think that's, if it's not dead, it's on life support right now, and they're going to look to Yuri Gamboa for that fight for Devin Haney on November 7th. But uh, I guess what have you made of the the Devin Haney-Gary Russell chatter, which is, it kind of came out of nowhere in the last few weeks. Yeah, you know, Gary Russell has become a uh, – he's been going after people the last year or so, really. I mean, he's just, it started with Tank Davis and then, uh, you know, went to Terrence Crawford. And him fighting Terrence Crawford is just silly. I mean, there's so many weight classes apart. But I, I would love to see Gary Russell if, – if Gervonta Davis beats Leo Santa Cruz, as I think we all agree that he will, um, I would love to see Gary Russell fight Javante uh, Davis, particularly if they can do it at 130 pounds, so that Gary Russell only has to move up one weight class. It's only four pounds from featherweight, as opposed to moving up to two full weight classes, you know, up to lightweight to fight him. I think that's more of the fight that is likely to happen, more so than the Devin Haney Gary Russell fight, because of the, you know, even though Gary Russell is quick to say that he doesn't have a contract with Al Heyman and he's free to do what he wants, which he, he is. But I just think it's more likely that we'll see because the Gervonta Davis Gary Russell fight is also an intriguing regional fight. You know, when you can bring fans back to arenas, that fight would be a huge draw in the uh, Maryland, D.C. area because both of those guys are, particularly Tank Davis, is a huge draw down there already. Gary Russell's the, known, you know, the longest reigning champion in boxing, a 2008 Olympian, one of the most talented fighters in the world, although he's always been criticized for his inactivity. I don't think anyone would argue against the fact that Gary Russell is one of the most talented fighters in the sport. I do think, though, that if he fought Devin Haney, I think he'd just be giving up too much size to Haney. I mean, Haney's a big lightweight uh, in terms of height and length, um, whereas Gervonta Davis is not. He's just someone who doesn't want to make 130 pounds unless he absolutely has to. So, um, you know, I think I, I would I would love to see that fight. If Gervonta Davis, Gary Russell can be made, I would love to see it. I think it's, again, much more likely to see than Haney, um, Russell. And I think you're right. Haney will wind up fighting Yoriorkis Gamboa, which I I don't know what the point of that is exactly, but um, he's fought worse fighters. I guess you could say that, you know. So, uh, (laughs) um, and and Gamboa, look, Gamboa didn't win any any rounds against Gervonta Davis, I didn't think. But, you know, Davis was criticized because he allowed – Gamboa to linger until the 12th round on a supposedly ruptured Achilles. I'm not a hundred percent sure that he, that he had a ruptured Achilles because every other athlete I've ever seen, you know, Kevin, think of when Kevin Durant bring it to NBA terms, Chris, when Kevin Durant blew out his, you couldn't walk. This, this guy fought for nine rounds on a ruptured Achilles. Come on. That seems like a little, I'm not saying he didn't have an injury. He did, but that it was completely ruptured. I'm not sure I'm buying that. But, uh, ruptured Achilles. Yeah. Ruptured Achilles is one of the worst injuries you can have in sports 
because I mean, different sports, different you know comebacks, but it it takes a while to get your mobility back. Yeah. You know, when you have that type of injury, and the idea didn't uh, didn't David Hay find a ruptured Achilles for a while, and and he was yeah. Well, when he fought, I guess Tony uh, Bellew. The first, yeah, exactly, exactly, and yeah. um, and and look how he was hobbling around. That yeah, there was barely anything noticeable. I was ringside for the Gamboa Javante Davis fight and I, until after the fight. Like he was talking about it in the corner, and they were mentioning it on the broadcast, but the, he wasn't hobbling around the ring. And now he supposedly is going to fight Devin Haney ten months later, basically. So I, I don't know. I mean, they've provided proof that says that it was ruptured supposedly, but uh, I don't know. I think it's being exaggerated a little bit for whatever that's worth. Yeah, maybe it was on WebMD is where it was, uh, <laughs> was listed as rupture. I, I, the reason I never really believed the Russell versus Haney stuff is that like when we've seen cross promotion stuff, whether it was use Jose Ramirez, Maurice Hooker as an example, like Ramirez came over because the money was huge, right? Like it was like five, $6 million, whatever it was for, for Jose Ramirez, maybe more. I don't know what the exact number was. The money that at least Gary Russell was talking about and Devin Haney was tweeting about was like a million and a half. And that's good money, but it's not money that PBC can't come up with to have Gary Russell fight somebody else and then, to your point, save him for Gervonta Davis. So unless it was like a $4 million offer to fight Devin Haney, which ain't coming uh, from Eddie Hearn at at this point and where we're at, I just never really really believed that I did see some upside to Russell taking that fight because Haney, we kind of all bill as this future potential star, maybe a pound for pound type of guy, but he's very unproven. He's got obvious talents, but he's still unproven. Uh, and Russell with his hand speed, I could see Russell winning that fight. And if you beat Devin Haney, all of a sudden you've got a belt, a semi real belt that you can carry around and maybe fight Gervonta yeah. at that weight class as well. So I see the upside, but it just, there's too much, there's too many reasons not to make that fight, I guess, than, than there are to actually turn around and make it. The, the biggest thing, Chris, I think from Russell's perspective is if he were to go and beat Devin Haney, and I'm not saying he couldn't beat him, he would just be at a, such a size disadvantage, I, w- I wouldn't favor him in the fight, I don't think. But if he goes and beats Devin Haney and Lomachenko beats Tiafimo Lopez, he would have the WBC title. And he could get the rematch with Lomachenko that he's been clamoring for for quite some time. Uh, that would be his easiest path to doing that. Um, now, I'm not sure that Lomachenko is going to beat Lopez, but if, if those two things were to happen, it would make perfect business sense for Gary Russell, even if he took a little shorter money than you might suspect for a Devin Haney fight. It, it would be a path to fighting Lomachenko again. And that, whenever you talk to Gary Russell, and I know you have a bunch of times over the last few years, he always gets back to Lomachenko. He, he wants to fight Lomachenko again, uh, but he's not in the position to do that now. So they're in different weight classes, different companies and all that, whereas before it was a mandatory and all that. So, um, But yeah, that, that would make a lot of sense, though, if he, if he were to do it for that reason. I do love this new Gary Russell, like actually wanting to fight. I mean, for a while, it just seemed like he emerged, you know, once a year. And maybe he still will going into next year. Uh, he only emerged once a year to fight, and now he's out there. Ch- I mean, I wonder how much how much how much bigger he can go with some of the fighters he can challenge. Like, are we on to Canelo? Like for his next uh, his next challenge out there, somebody <laughs> at one fifty four. You want to take on uh, you know Jamel Charlo in your next fight? I don't know. I like the. I, I think Gary Russell is a, a great fighter, and I think like ha- having him more involved at whatever weight class is good. You know, he's he's an American yeah. fighter with a very interesting family story. 
Um, I, I like the the idea of all this. I just uh, I think I think the I think the Davis fight is more likely that to be his next big fight than anything yeah. else. But uh, good to see him back in the mix. Uh, let me finish here, Keith. Uh, Daniel Jacobs is tentatively on the calendar for Matchroom before the end of the year. It seems like and. You, over, you guys over at Boxing Scene have reported this, uh, that there are two options here. It's uh, Gabe Rosado, the uh, former 154-160-pound uh, world title challenger when he fought Golovkin at 160. Um, against, and the other mm-hmm. option there is Daniel, is, uh, uh, what am I missing here? John Ryder, sorry, blanking on John mm-hmm. Ryder. Two guys, John Ryder, of course, the more established 168-pounder, had a tough fight against Callum Smith. Uh, do you have a preference there? I mean, is there one that you prefer more than the other as you kind of look at Jacob's next kind of comeback fight on his quest to fight a 168-pound title? Well, you know, John Ryder obviously gave Callum Smith a very difficult fight last year. A lot of people think that John Ryder should have won that fight, and then we wouldn't be talking about Callum Smith fighting Canelo Alvarez if he got the decision on the scorecards. So he did wonders for his career by the way he performed against Callum Smith. And you would like to see... Look, from a competitive standpoint, I would like to see him, Danny Jacobs, fight him. But uh, from a promotional standpoint and from how the fight will, in, because I think it's possible that if Jacobs were to fight John Ryder, it wouldn't be the most entertaining fight. If he fights Gabe Rosado, one, from a promotional standpoint, they're going to, Gabe Rosado is one of the best trash talkers in boxing. Him and Daniel Jacobs have gone back and forth for quite some time now. He's even brought some of the uh, the Brooklyn, so to speak, out of Daniel Jacobs and made him go back at, at Rosado and say some things that Danny ordinarily does not say. Um, I think I think there's a s- somewhat of a dislike among them, but also a mutual respect underneath it all because Rosado, while he has 12, 13 losses, whatever it is, he always comes to fight. Um, you know, he's fought a, a lot of top, top guys and usually has lost. Uh, but but he he's usually in fights. He's a bleeder. Um, he's never going to lay down. Uh, so I think from an aesthetic standpoint in the ring, you would prefer to see Jacobs and Rosado. And certainly from a promotional standpoint, you would. And I do think that that is the fight that we will see next for Jacobs. That, that's interesting, Keith, that you say that, that aesthetically Rosado is better in the ring. I, I don't disagree that the buildup would be much more interesting because there would be an incredible amount of trash talk. You'd have the, you know, the quasi phony separating them at the press conference and the weigh in and all that stuff would, would build up. But, you know, Gabe, I loved Gabe at 154. I liked him a little at 160. I just don't know what he is at 168. I mean, I, I was in the empty arena in Phoenix when, he fought in front of nobody after the the venue was emptied because Chavez quit in that fight against Jacobs and, you know, everybody was cleared out. Um, I, I He won, but I didn't walk away thinking like, all right, he's he's built to fight at 168. He's got Freddie Roach in his corner, and that's certainly a positive uh, for him. But I, I just look at that fight, and it's it just seems to me like it's 119-109, 118-110, Ooh. Uh, yeah. Jacobs in, in a tough fight to watch. Maybe, maybe I'm a little too, maybe I've seen too much of John Ryder lately. I mean, I, I, w- I was at, I think his last couple of fights, at least his one against uh, Bilal Akawi, where he knocked him out in that oh, fight. Yeah. And Vegas, he, he looked, yeah, and he, he looked good in that fight. And he's won, you know, his last four wins have all come by knockout. Maybe I'm just being 
uh, it's too much recency bias in my mind, but I, I look at at Ryder versus Jacobs as being I favor Jacobs, but Ryder you know can fight and he might be able to pull off an upset. I don't see how I don't see Gabe Rosado's path to victory against Jacobs. That's my only issue. That, well, that's my only issue, Keith. And Danny Jacobs has said publicly that his goal in these fights, as he prepares for a world title shot, is to get used to fighting 168 pounders. Well, he's not really going to fight 160, a true 168 in Rosado. Rosado would just be at 168 to fight Daniel Jacobs. It's not. I, I don't think that fulfills what Jacobs has publicly said is his desire in his next fight at super middleweight. To be fair to Jacobs, he didn't fight a super middleweight in his last fight either. He fought a cruiserweight. So maybe this just <laughs> balances it all out. But um, <laughs> And what I meant before, Chris, by aesthetically, I, I didn't mean that, that Rosado-Jacobs would be a more competitive fight. I don't think that it would. I just think there would be more action in the fight. And yeah, it could get repetitive over the course of, or maybe Jacobs would stop him. I, I don't, you know, because as you said, Rosado, while he's extremely tough and he's, there's no quitting him. Uh, he's not a natural 168 pounder. Jacobs is, you know, it's taller than him and, and is used to fight. Well, I don't know how he used to it. He is. He's only fought it that way once. But um, I think in some ways you answered your own question by explaining what you explained as to why he will wind up fighting Gabe Rosado. Um, but I, I look, my gut tells me that's that that's what's going to happen. That he's going to wind up fighting Rosado. Um, and then Ryder's in a tricky position because what does he do? I mean, you know, he obviously would want to rematch with Callum Smith, but I don't think Callum Smith goes anywhere near that. Um, I can't imagine that Billy Joe Saunders is going to want to fight him while he's trying to get the biggest payday of his career against someone else either. So uh, Ryder's in an unfortunate, tricky position. But um, but if I had to guess, like I said, I, I think Jacobs Rosado is the fight that will happen next. And then Jacobs will, you know, Maybe he'll fight Callum Smith after that, but then he's got a contractual situation to deal with, so who knows? Maybe a rematch with Chavez Jr. Unfinished business with <laughs> well, Julio Cesar. You'd like some more beer in your hair, wouldn't you? <laughs> that was a wild scene, man. That was I was fortunate not to get hit. I, I I'll never forget like Keith Conley, the manager for Daniel Jacobs, standing on in the ring next to me with a ring card swatting away the beers that are being thrown at Jacobs. Like, why anybody's throwing anything at Jacobs is beyond me. But uh, you know, there, was, there was a bunch of guys, including Keith, just swatting uh, half-full beer cups uh, going in my direction. That was uh, Chavez, another one, man. We, we don't need to get too deep into this, but Chavez, like, he's fighting this month, allegedly, uh, on the card where his father is uh, headlining with Jorge Arce in an exhibition match. I as much as I hate to say it, Keith, I think we're going to see Chavez back in a major fight in 2021. Yeah. I think it's it's just. What do he's you think? One those, he's one of those guys that just won't go away, and he and whether <laughs> anyone likes it or not, he has name value. No matter what, look, that was farcical. What happened in that fight? He was completely dominated and embarrassed by Canelo Alvarez. Yet he's still go, and he's but he's not that old. I mean, that's the thing people don't realize. I think he's still not that old. So. Uh, you know, you would think he's 40 and he's nowhere near that. So, um, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if, if because of his name, because look what happened last year. People complained when Daniel Jacobs fought him, yet they drew us. You were at the arena. I was in California for another card that night, but you were in the arena. They had a nice crowd. And, and it was, I think you would know this better than me, but it was it was it was one of the zone's most watched fights last year. So Chavez, 
Chavez does numbers. Yeah, he does numbers. So he's he's like Broner. He's like the Mexican Broner, I guess, right? I mean, he he keeps losing. You know, Broner might have more talent than you know he does. You know, he, and he's won world titles and all that kind of stuff. But but in some ways, people want look. The bottom line is it's a business, and if people are going to tune in to watch you fight or to pay for tickets to watch you fight, you'll always have a place among some promoters, some television networks, streaming services, etc. So. Yeah, that was 10,000, 11,000 paying customers in, in Phoenix there to see Chavez Jr. They were his fans. Yeah. Uh, at that fight and uh yeah he, he he definitely draws so i think if he wins this fight maybe gets one more under his belt i don't know who it's going to be you know and what weight class it's going to be at but uh, i think we'll see chavez jr back uh, you know who point. it's you know who it's going to be sergio martinez you got it what weight would that be fought at? oh who knows who knows uh, well chavez does it really matter chavez signs a contract and then just shows up at whatever weight he wants and then the fight <laughs> moves forward, right? What was it that he's Jacob been doing said, his whole career? So why would that change? What was it Jacob said to Rosado? Like, I want to thank you for uh, you made me a milli. I think was his line because he, he was there available to fight uh, on that last fight against Chavez Jr. So when Chavez Jr. was overweight, uh, he had to pay a million dollars to uh, to Jacobs to to get to stay in the ring there. Wild. Wild boxing scene, Keith, as it uh, as it always is. But appreciate the time, Keith. Thanks, uh, thanks for joining me. We'll do it again soon. Yeah, my my pleasure, Chris. Thanks for having me, man. Talk to you soon. All right, that's it for this week's episode. My thanks to my guests. As always, subscribe to the podcast over at Apple Podcasts. Rate, review. You know I appreciate it, and I'll see you next week. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA.